out of respect for the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, please stand to hear our gospel reading today. The gospel comes from John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, in righteousness, in judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Here ends our reading. Children of the Heavenly Father, in whom dwells God the Holy Spirit, uniting you with the forgiving gift of Jesus Christ, grace and peace are yours. Amen. Well, I think typically Holy Spirit sermons uh, tend to, to weigh really heavy on the sanctification side. And for those of you who remember your confirmation instruction, sanctification means to make holy. And usually, you know, we even have it up here, usually when we start talking about sanctification, it's all about what you have to do, right? It's all about what you have to do to, to kind of make yourself, um, well, in some ways to make yourself acceptable to the faith that's been worked in you. Even that, that's the way we sometimes talk about it. And to be sure, there are things that we must do as Christians. But this morning, I want to take a different, a different approach. Because I think sometimes we look at, at God the Father and we say, wow, how much grace the Father lavishes on us that he would send his very best, his son Jesus. Right? And then we think of, of the grace of God the Son. And we think of the grace of God the Son, we say, wow, God the Son has willingly sacrificed himself, right? willingly set aside his life, taking up the cross on our behalf, that he would die and rise again on our behalf to bring us forgiveness of sins. How much grace has God the Son shown us? And then we get to God the Spirit, and we talk about God the Spirit, and we're like, all right, now here's a bunch of stuff you got to do. But the truth is, there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and He is gracious. Gracious Father, gracious Son, gracious Spirit. And that's what Jesus teaches us about in John chapter 16. He teaches us about a gracious Holy Spirit. And He does so with words that are, are somewhat confusing. And so I want to go through these words in some detail this morning. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to look at it. Even if it's an app, I'll just pretend that you're reading the Bible and not looking at the latest headlines on ESPN. All right? That hit a little too close to home, did it? <laughs> when we think about this, first of all, we have to set the scene, right? We are in the garden with Jesus. This is the garden of Gethsemane. This is the night in which he was betrayed. Right? That's not just a line that we use to start the Lord's Supper. It was the night when he was betrayed, meaning it was the night that begins kind of this rapid flow of events that will end with his crucifixion and resurrection. 
right? It's the night in which he was betrayed where he has had the meal with his disciples. He has already three times up till now, three times told his disciples very clearly the details of his death and resurrection, saying that the Son of Man would be betrayed into the hands of sinners who would hand him over to death. But on the third day, he would rise again. He was given those details at the transfiguration, right? When he was given these details of his exodus, of the way that he would depart as God's plan was brought to fruition. All of this has already happened, and now it's happening. It's the night in which he was betrayed. Jesus has enjoyed the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. They've sung a hymn, and they've headed out to the garden. And we typically think of Jesus in the garden just going away and praying and the disciples falling asleep. But John tells us that there was more going on in the garden that night. John tells us that Jesus was teaching. And in fact, in a very real way, teaching the most important things that he has. After all, Jesus knows that his earthly life is about to come to an end on the cross. He knows these details. He knows this is the moment when he's going to be betrayed. And so he's teaching them about the Father. And he's teaching them about the Spirit. And then he's teaching them about what it means to be God's children. That those are the most important things. Who the Father is, who the Spirit is, and who we are in light of it. That's where we pick up John chapter 16. And as Jesus is instructing his disciples, I'm going to turn back to verse 5. He says this, Now I'm going to him who sent me, that is his Father, but none of you asks me where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. He starts off telling them that they're, they're asking the wrong questions, right? Because Jesus is telling them, I'm departing from you. They're so overwhelmed with grief that they don't even ask the right questions. The questions that they should be asking are questions about where he's going. It's very clear that he's leaving them after the time that they have spent together. They don't ask where you're going. They don't ask where the Father is. And you might say, well, they're a little gun shy. After all, they've already asked that question. And Jesus said, I'm the way. But still, they could be asking questions about what paradise will be like and what that place will be like when they dwell in the presence of the Father and what it's going to be like for all of us to be together in that place. But they don't ask those questions because they're overwhelmed with temporal grief. In other words, they're lost in the moment. They're lost in the expression of grief because it's going away. So they don't ask the important questions and they forget what they know. Have you ever been in that kind of a situation? A situation where you're overwhelmed by the moment and so you forget the greater perspective, to have a greater perspective on what's going on? It's a common experience for humanity, right? And you know what is another common experience? Is what we like to do for others in those moments. Like if we see someone who's in that situation, we turn into, into Job's friends, right? Do you remember the story of Job and he's lost everything in his life and his friends come and sit with him and then after seven days they start to instruct him and they're like, you did something wrong. And Job says over and over again, I really wish you'd just be quiet, right? Sit in silence with me before the Lord. But we always want to teach in those moments, right? I'm going to tell you that's the absolute worst time to teach, right? In other words, I'm going to confess to you about a situation that I've been in before where I'm sitting in the car and I'm at the side of the road and there's a car with lights flashing behind me. True confession, I have been pulled over for speeding before. Sorry, Doc. And um, police officer. And the last thing I want to hear in that moment 
is the person in the passenger seat saying, you know, if you hadn't been speeding, the police officer wouldn't have pulled you over. You shouldn't speed, you know. You should always drive the speed limit. I know this. I'm experiencing it. Not Kate. Yeah, I know. Not you. Not you. Actually, the funniest thing is I haven't been pulled over in a long time. It was my sister who was sitting in the passenger seat. Next time you see her, you could say, I heard that you nagged your brother when you got pulled over. I'll tell you the rest of that story another time. But we do that in real situations too. In more emotional ones. In grief-filled ones. We speak in platitudes to one another. And we try to teach. When really what we're called to is to sit together. Because sometimes our grief overwhelms us in the moment. And we forget the larger picture. And so what Jesus is doing is to try, to try to take them beyond their grief and to explain to them why it's a good moment, to explain to them why what's about to happen is actually for their benefit and an extension for our benefit. And he starts by naming the Holy Spirit. In our reading, which Victor just did for us, the word that was used was counselor. Did you hear it? There are other words that are often used, advocate and comforter are two of them. And what is Jesus saying simply by naming the Holy Spirit, by calling him counselor, by calling him advocate, by calling him comforter, he's telling them if life was always going to be comfortable, you wouldn't need a comforter. If there was never going to be a moment of difficulty in your life, you'd never need an advocate, but you will There will be those moments when life seems to crumble around you. And in those moments you'll rejoice because you are not alone. Because the gracious Holy Spirit is with you. And he is advocate. He is counselor. He is comforter. Jesus names him for us so that we would know that in the midst of the difficulties of life, the Holy Spirit will be present with us. We don't go it alone. And so he says to them, it's good for you that I'm going away. They they couldn't conceive of this. It it didn't make any sense to them. How could it possibly be good that Jesus was going away? Again, I'm just asking you to place yourself in the disciples' shoes for just a minute. To imagine how amazing it must have been to walk with Jesus for those three years. To have heard the things that he said. And remember, they're not all written down for us. Right? John makes that quite clear, that this is just a sampling of the things that Jesus said and did. To have experienced the miracles that they experienced, to be with Jesus. And now he says, I'm going away, and it's good that I am. It's too much for them to bear. It's too much for them to even grasp. And so Jesus continues to explain to them who this comforter will be and how amazing he will be. I will send him to you. And what he's telling them is very simply this. The Holy Spirit really is that good. He really is that good, this comforter whom I'm going to send. And so he continues. Verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. I can picture the disciples in the moment going, this wasn't quite the comfort that I was hoping for. This feels a little bit like the person in the passenger seat telling me I shouldn't have been speeding. He will convict the world in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. 
But that conviction is because the world follows a different plan, a different pattern. The world has these things wrong. And so he says you must understand them. And the Holy Spirit will be the one who will help you to understand these things so that you won't follow after the pattern of the world. He starts off with sin. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. Right? He will prove the world to be wrong about sin because people don't believe in Jesus. You see, the world views sin, and we can even fall into this trap, can't we? The world views sin as something of a sliding scale. Right? It's all about what we do and what we don't do. The world views sin in this way. Well, you know, yeah, sure, I've done some wrong things, but, I mean, have you seen fill in the blank? Right? Yeah, okay, I don't always say the right thing, and I don't always do what I'm supposed to do, but have you seen my neighbor across the street? And I could tell you about a person who's wicked. His name is, right, that's how we typically view sin. What Jesus declares is that when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world in this misunderstanding. He will prove the world to be wrong because what the, word, what, what the, the Holy Spirit will do is to speak the word of truth. And the word of truth will divide those who believe in Jesus and those who don't. And he says, if you want to know about sin, that's your pattern. It's understanding that the Holy Spirit is calling you to belief in Jesus, that the only sin that matters is the sin against the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin, which is rejecting the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, rejecting the gift which the Holy Spirit gives of freedom, uh, excuse me, of forgiveness and love in Jesus Christ. And so he will convict the world in that regard. But he is a good and gracious God. And so he's calling people to Jesus. He's calling them to their Savior so that they would know who he is. He will convict the world of sin. He will convict the world of righteousness, Jesus says, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And I'll admit that this is the one that I struggled with the most. I mean, I sat with this for the longest time. How on earth does that picture righteousness? Right? He will convict the world in regards to righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And I had to go back and remember the fullness of Jesus' mission. To go back to that day we call the Ascension. And of this picture that is painted in the book of Revelation where Jesus returns to his Father. In the book of Revelation, he takes the scroll out of the one who is seated in the, on the throne. He takes the scroll out of the hand of the one who is seated on the throne and he unravels that scroll and written on both sides of it are our names. That we are unlocked. That we are given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He will convict the world in regards to righteousness because I'm going to the Father to seal the deal. I'm going to the Father to complete the mission so that you will no longer have a question about who this Jesus is. You'll no longer have that angst in your heart that says, is he or isn't he? Because the disciples had that, didn't they? They struggled with it even after the resurrection because they had walked with Jesus all that time. They had seen him in such an earthly, such a creaturely way that he was now different. And they would never ask that question again. They would miss him as their friend and as their teacher. But when he returned to the Father, they would worship him as their Savior and their Lord. 
That they would know that his righteousness is what is given to them. That he makes them and he makes us right with our heavenly father. That he goes to seal the deal. So it's not about what we've done. He will convict the world in regard to righteousness. And in regard to judgment. Because the prince of this world, this is verse 11, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And this is perhaps the most freeing. The truth of the Holy Spirit is that he will come to tell us what condemnation is really for. You see, the world, and you've heard this over and over again, wants to put one another down. Wants to condemn one another for this thing or for that thing. And even it has happened for people who espouse to be Christians to put other people down and to condemn them for this or for that. And what Jesus says is the Holy Spirit will set that straight. That God's condemnation was was designed, you might say, for Satan. And that he now stands condemned. And because he stands condemned, we have the assurance that the enemy is defeated. And that means there's no need to follow after a defeated enemy. There's no need to follow after his ways. Because he stands condemned already so that all will see the true wrath of God. So that we will understand what it is that we have been rescued from in the name of Jesus. That this is God the Holy Spirit who is truly gracious to us, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to a knowledge and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That this is why he returns to the Father to seal the deal. That he might call us into faith to dwell with him for eternity. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's good. God, the Holy Spirit, has come to call us his children. But Jesus isn't done teaching. He says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. And we're back in the garden. And we're remembering that it's the night in which he was betrayed and the crucifixion hasn't yet happened. The resurrection hasn't yet happened. The Holy Spirit hasn't yet been poured out. And so he says, look, I want to tell you more, but I can't because you can't take it. You won't be able to bear it. You couldn't grasp it if I told you. It would simply overwhelm you. In my mind, that reminds me of, uh, of one of my favorite parts of our American electoral cycle. Right? So I want, to take, I want to take you back to the election, because that was such a happy time for everybody. But there's something that happens every election cycle. When we have a, a candidate elect, what we typically call the president-elect, after the national vote, about a day or two after, after we know who the next president will be, and this happens each time, because I've been noticing this for years, because it's one of the things that always makes a big impression on me, is a couple days after the election, the, the candidate-elect gets their first national security briefing, right? And they always announce it on the news. Today, the president-elect will receive the same briefing that the president will receive. And you know what always happens after that first national security briefing? The candidate disappears for a solid day. It's not an accident, right? It's not an accident. It happens, I think, for two reasons. One of them is because they have to be told what they can and can't say. Now, just because you've heard this stuff doesn't mean you can speak it, right? But the second thing is because the news is so absolutely overwhelming 
There is so much that goes on that the average person like you and me doesn't know. As you can imagine them having this briefing going, we're doing what? Where? Who's the latest threat? What are you thinking down? Oh my goodness. (laughs) And so rather than out kissing babies and shaking hands, they just disappear for a while. Because the news is more than they can bear. Jesus does the same thing with his disciples. I don't want to overwhelm you. You couldn't possibly bear this information now. And so instead, I want you to wait. Wait and know that the comforter, when he comes, will lead you in this. But when he, verse 13, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Right? And somehow we look at that and make it seem like it, it's reducing the role of the Holy Spirit, but it's not. It's telling us that God the Holy Spirit is the triune God. That God doesn't have some separate message that he proclaims of the Father and a separate message of the Son and a separate message of the Spirit, but instead that there is one message that he is proclaiming. The salvation that Jesus Christ has earned. He will lead us in all truth and he will proclaim to us the things that are yet to come to let us know the questions that we should truly be asking. The Spirit has no separate interest from the Father or the Son, but they are in essence and in content. They are in speech and in message. They are in word, one God. So what do we know? We know that the Spirit is here, and that is good. We know that the Spirit speaks truth because the Spirit leads us to Jesus, teaching us what God's condemnation is about and what it means to be rescued from it, to have the righteousness which Jesus Christ has earned on our behalf, to unite us with the saving love of Jesus Christ so that we can ask the question about when, our Father, when we will be in our Father's house. So that we will even look forward to the day when all things are made new and whether that comes with the return of Jesus or whether that comes with our natural death. That we will know that God the Comforter, the Holy Spirit is with us always. And so we live this truth. We live in the Spirit, in the good Spirit, connected to Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. That we abide in the love of God, which is showered on us through the good Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.